What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking anatomically correct rubber suits. We're talking great stems and buds. And we're talking reinforced steel. Not good. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking poison. Poison Ivy. Oh, boy. (laughs) We are talking the much maligned Batman entry from 1997, Batman and Robin, everybody. And Joe, why are we talking about this movie? Uh, It continues an annual tradition that we have begun, (laughs) which is that we always cover a Batman film in December for some reason. And also, this one fit the bill of winter. So we're going to be talking about something wintry this week and something wintry next week. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean winter? It's not winter. That's Batman Returns. But yes, ice. There's a lot of ice in this Mm -hmm. movie. (laughs) Trace, can't you feel the chill in the air? Don't you feel a freeze coming on? So again, this is another case where a lot of my notes are quotes and um, just general comments about things that happen in this movie. (laughs) But if I highlighted every single pun that I wrote down, I think my entire page would just be filled with colored highlighter. Yeah, it's a bit much. I can definitely understand why people would look at this entry and say, oh, no, I just can't. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not one of those people. I think this movie is a lot of fun. It's just I have issues and we will go through it. But I don't think this is like the clusterfuck that everyone says it is. But before I go into that diatribe, why don't we bring in our guests? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone, they are the hosts of Kill by Kill, a podcast that unpacks all the gory details of horror cinema's least discussed topics, the characters. You may also recognize them from their previous guest appearances on our show, discussing such classics as The Quiet and Witchboard. Please welcome <laughs> back Patrick Hamilton and Gina Radcliffe. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, everyone. Ice to be here. Oh, Gina. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh man. Welcome on to... Ba- we, we really bring y'all in for winners, don't we? Well, you really do. You, it's like you're holding them back. And then when we're on the schedule, we just get the... I mean, which board was very entertaining. But mm-hmm. this is this is reaching, you know, I, I'm sexual feelings while ordering a milkshake levels of bad. <laughs> I like to hurt you both about <laughs> once a year. That's the goal. 
I, I don't know what I did to deserve that. We did invite you on to talk about cats, so. Yes, this is true. I mean, yeah, Patrick, you and Gina did invite me on to talk about cats, so I feel like this is just returning the favor. Well, I mean, okay, like, this... <sighs> This is considered one of the worst movies ever made. And I, I just have to quick, quick survey around the room. Are we in agreement with this statement? Yes. Ever? No, but <laughs> Gina's like, yes, just absolutely yes. Uh, it is It is not good in many, many ways. Can you have fun watching it? Absolutely. That is well within everyone's power. But there are some massive faults with it that make it difficult, not just simply as a Batman movie, but as a movie in general. It remains, the to date, the only movie I ever walked out of in a theater. Now, granted, <laughs> I, I, it was like, the, it was like, you know, up to like the last couple minutes. Like, I, I missed the part where Alfred is miraculously healed because, you know, who who didn't think that was going to happen? Oh. So, yeah, like right after uh, somehow that Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy are stuck in the same jail cell in Arkham Asylum together. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm good. Mm -hmm. I just got up and walked out of the theater. <laughs> and this was, this was the first time I had watched it since then. Oh, okay. So did you finish it? I did finish it, yeah. I figure I at least owed it that much, and I owed you guys that much. <laughs> <laughs> so polite. For the record, you owe us shit, but thank you so much, Gina. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's a thing where... Even watching this, I'm like, you know, because you know, part part of my, my when I'm judging a movie, I'm like, you know, okay, well, what do I think it's good or bad? And like, oh, for this movie, yes, like, there's a lot of bad about this movie, but at the same time, I have to, I, I put like 50 percent of my grade into what is the movie trying to do, and is it accomplishing that? And I'm half and half on this part of it because they're trying to make a really stupid, campy movie with this, like that's going back to harkening back to the days of the 60s uh, of Batman. And on that level, I, I think they accomplish it. The problem is, there's a lot of stuff in here that is just boring. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's where the movie's really failing for me. Yeah, I mean, I think they set out to try to sell toys, and they accomplished that. Gina. Yeah, and I, I could definitely see and agree with you that they were trying to go for the, the campy feeling of the 60s show. But the problem is, is that the movie itself looks too good for that. It's too, it's, it's too mm. shiny. It's too glossy. I mean, even now, 25 years later, it looks, still looks good. You know, I mean, the way they, they do, they do, uh, like, I love that observatory that's like in the big hand. I think that that's, and, and, and it kind of, <laughs> and it kind of, you know, it's supposed to make you think of the snow globe that Mr. Freeze keeps returning back to, you know, it kind of looks like that. And, and, and I, I think that it's just, it's too glossy looking to to be that deliberately cheesy in, in its dialogue and and in all puns and and you you said that you lost count of how many puns there were i did try to keep track of how many <laughs> oh, ice no. or freeze or cold puns mr only just mr freeze said everybody everybody speaks almost mm -hmm. entirely in puns in this in this uh in this movie i had about a 45 minute point i lost track at, at around 25 he just you know at least 25 <laughs> different puns 
And important to note that this movie is two hours and five minutes long, and that is oh. one of the reasons why it is unsuccessful for me. Because I, I think if you make this a tight 90 minutes and cut out um, several subplots, this is a much better film. But the problem is, it's just so big. But I will say, though, I mean, commenting on the look of it, so... I, I got the 4K set, like, of the first four Batman movies. This movie looks phenomenal in 4K. Oh, yeah. Schumacher knows how to film a motion picture. He's He does great things on camera. And where his, his failing is as a filmmaker is he's either showing up to do the best job ever, and he's just dialed in, or he got distracted by something else. And considering what <laughs> Warner Brothers was doing at the time to him regarding this film was just needling him, needling him, needling him. I think he just said, okay, if you want all this shit, I'm just going to give you all this shit. And that's what he did. It's excess, right? Yes. Let's go into that then, because uh, I, that that's all going to be in my production right now. But just really quick, just to, like, to, to go on the roller coaster of box office of these <laughs> Batman films. So the first film... Budget of $35 million, and it makes 251 domestic for worldwide of $411 million. And, you know, it's like Jaws level of like, oh, this is like, this is like the blockbuster that we're talking about now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Batman Returns three years later, $80 million budget. So we upped the budget by like $45 million. $162 million domestic with 266 worldwide. So we are not quite half the box office gross, but like a... Th- two-thirds of it probably but an infinitely more interesting motion picture oh sure but it doesn't sell toys so now we got to get burton the boot exactly so three years later we get batman forever now interestingly enough they also up the budget again batman forever has a budget of a hundred million dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> it makes about 20 million more domestically than return so we've got 184 million domestic but 336 worldwide so we've got about mm-hmm. 60 million more total than batman Returns. so they're like cool this is the right path to take this movie okay so, before we get into Batman and Robin's box office, let's go with that. So, with the box office success of Batman Forever, Warner Brothers immediately greenlit a sequel. They hired Joel Schumacher and Akiva Goldsman, um, future Oscar winner Akiva Goldsman, by the way, for screenwriting. Ooh. You should take that back. Yeah, I was going to say, you would not know it from these particular scripts. Good lord. He wrote A Beautiful Mind, so that is what his Oscar was for. But he, and he actually has written, I mean, he also wrote A Time to Kill um, in between this and Batman Forever uh, with Joel Schumacher. So Also not a good movie. Oh, I like I it. like that one. <laughs> it, but compared to The Client, The Client is a way oh, yeah. better movie than mm. A Time to Kill. Possibly, because it's a better story than A Time to Kill. Um, sure. It's also not two and a half hours like A Time to Kill is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, um, they, obviously Schumacher and a Goldsman were the director and writer, respectively, of Batman Forever. But they were both about to go to work on A Time to Kill when they got this offer. And it was decided to fast track the production of this sequel for June 1997. So instead of the usual three-year gap between films, we have a two-year gap between these films. Which... I think might contribute to the issues with this movie. Schumacher wanted to pay homage to both the broad camp style of the 60s TV show and the work of Batman comic book artist Dick Sprang. Uh, Sprang, by the way, was responsible for the 1950 redesign of the Batmobile and the original design of the Riddler. But with the comics, it's a weird thing where Bob Kane, like, God, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, so forgive me if I have a little detail wrong, but like, 
he would he was like in the 40s he was going to go off into world war ii and so he had ghost writers or ghost drawers do batman comics for him but none of them ever got credited because it was i guess his contract or his ip or something so he was always credited with it even though he wasn't always the one drawing and writing the comics and sprang was one of these ghost writers for him hmm. they also knew they wanted mr freeze and poison ivy which personally for me so i was eight when this came out um, mr freeze and poison ivy are actually my two favorite batman villains which might be why i um give this movie some leeway but they've always been my favorite so as a kid when i hear that they're doing this like this was like my must-see movie of 1997 for little eight-year-old trace well this is the first movie to be developed actively while the cartoon, the animated series, has right. been at its height. So it's the most, you compare it the most to that because it, it, the animated series has had that effect amongst, you know, younger Batman fans to the point where it is their Batman and it actually should be. And some of the best stories in there, you could argue, are Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze. So you're aiming directly at a group of people who already know these characters and love them. And this is what they decided to do with them. Well, so, and th th that's, ex that's exactly it. So yeah, the storyline of the film was conceived by Schumacher and Goldsman, um, again, during pre-production of the time to kill. So they're working on this like heavy, like, you know, racially charged uh, lawyer movie while also writing this really stupid Batman movie. And, <laughs> They used Freeze's backstory from the animated series episode Heart of Ice, which was written by Paul Dini and aired in September of 92. So just a few months after Batman Returns comes out. Because in case you didn't know, and I didn't know this, Mr. Freeze was introduced in 59 as Mr. Zero. And it was the 60s TV show that renamed him Mr. Freeze. But he never had this tragic backstory. His original backstory was just he was a rogue scientist who's designed for an ice gun backfired. And he inadvertently spilled cryogenic chemicals on himself. But he didn't have his wife in the equation. So he was just a regular regular villain that got fucked over right so the reception of the batman animated series episode was so positive they were like well we're going to do that for this movie so that being said schumacher stated and it's actually really funny watching his interviews about this movie especially after the fact um, i watched the commentary for this and i watched the featurette which seems to have been released about 10 years after this film i think it was probably on the original blu-ray of this he's very apologetic <laughs> he is to the point where he is like gina and he walks out of that commentary before the end of the film oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yep. things to do places to go <laughs> well yeah so he said that he was given a mandate by the studio to make the film more and i quote toy edit a word he had never heard before but that they said well, we just want to make toys we want to make this movie to sell toys and that's uh, probably why they gave it a budget of 125 million dollars <laughs> <laughs> more money more toys apparently well, you can tell like how many different costumes everyone is getting yeah, yeah poison ivy changes costumes in every scene that she appears in and there's a distinct reason for that they want all the variations of this they want all the variations of the batmobile all the variations of robin's mm -hmm. you know vehicles and they're schumacher's just like okay <laughs> to the and, point where we're literally putting in a line about a poison ivy action figure that comes with a bane sidekick yes Oh my god. Gina's like, I just can't take it. Can't take it. <laughs> well, so the thing is, it wasn't just, okay, we're making this in mind with the toys. They actually had the toy companies in meetings and development meetings for this film so you know like they would be in pre-production meetings and so you know mr freeze's blaster was specifically designed by the toy manufacturers batman creator bob kane acted as an official consultant and was heavily involved in the production giving input on the film while he was on set 
But they would basically, uh, they would make the designs for the cast and props in the film, and then the toy companies would just rip them out of their hands so they could make the molds and send them to the toy making factories in China so they could have the toys out by the time the movie came out in June of 97. <laughs> right. <laughs> it sounds like the best creative enterprise. Like, this is going to be a guaranteed good movie. Or we're going to have toys in time for when the movie comes out. <sighs> I mean, it's always a thing, too, we're watching something like this. I'm like, did no one see anything like i think i read something where they were like warner brothers was happy with the dailies for this film oh they thought they thought this was a winner an absolute fucking winner i uh, saw this movie on the universal lot because there are sections of it that use new york street on on the universal back lot and so for any studio guide they if you if a movie uh, filmed there they would screen it for us so that we could point out specific do you remember mm. this do you remember mm -hmm. that and it was the most morose screening oh, no. I've ever been a part of. <laughs> it was like the Baton Death March. It's like we were let out of a box uh, in a, the Pacific Theater of World War II. We were just sweaty and angry <laughs> at this motion picture. And Warner Brothers had hyped this to the point where it was everywhere 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 and the mm -hmm. first weekend is gigantic and then the second weekend craters as everyone who has seen it tells all their friends all their family passerbys on the street don't go see this and everyone listened man i'm telling you if someone tells me um like what it's a big ip movie that i really care about like batman someone's like it is one of the worst movies ever made i'm actually gonna be first in line to go see that movie because <laughs> right. i have to go see what this is yeah, but like families with a lack of disposable income, like if you hear something is aggressively bad, and I think especially if you weren't entirely sold on the direction that Schumacher takes the franchise in forever. But I mean, I do think to a certain extent, people weren't always happy with forever. And then it also soured them in anticipation of Batman and Robin. And then it has really, really bad word of mouth. You have to consider in 1994 what being a jim carrey movie was yeah which was uh, just a rocket shoved up your wiener and you went to the moon <laughs> like the guy could sneeze and have a hundred million dollars mm -hmm. and so when that movie came out it was primarily uh sold as a jim carrey vehicle and yeah. he gets almost all the screen time in it because he was the biggest movie star the, th the thing for me is i wasn't just disappointed i was genuinely surprised by how much i disliked batman and robin because i loved batman forever i still love it i i will mm -hmm. go to the mat for how much fun it is and and how much everybody is looking like they're having a good time and and i i mm -hmm. i love i know a lot of people don't like jim carrey's performance and i think it's great i think that he's just oh i do too he just brings so much to it and and I think the primary issues that they made are in you know choices and well how are we going to make this movie stand you know out from its its predecessor and one obviously they they didn't get Val Kilmer back for for uh, to play Bruce mm -hmm. Wayne I think he did a really good Bruce Wayne and I think I they, like him he's he's one of the best Bruce Waynes yeah he plays it very straight. Which is which is good. I mean, no pun intended. He's you know he's not in on the he's <laughs> he's not in on the joke. Whereas George Clooney is you know kind of winking and you know I I was saying I was telling yeah. Patrick I don't that, think that, he that, is. 
you don't I, I just feel like I just feel like he, you know, read the script, you know, muttered to himself, You gotta be fucking kidding me. And then and then, you know, as soon as they called action, just like, yeah, yeah, this is yeah, you know, whatever. He looks like he's about a minute from making the jerking off gesture when he says something. And and you know yeah. <laughs> the, 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 that's my thing. I, I I think he's bored as he looks he looks and delivers his lines as if he's bored as fuck in this movie. Well he's filming this at the same time that ER is filming. So yeah. he's literally bouncing from one Warner Brothers set to the other side of the lot, not getting any sleep, and he's playing the same character. And you can tell yeah. <laughs> because he's walking around with his head stooped down and then he does head nod, half smile throughout the entire thing, which was his ER character. It was just George Clooney showing up to do a job. And he's like, oh, people like this. People like me now. And he didn't change up until the point like Three Kings came out and someone just slapped him in the face and said, would you fucking act already? And he's like, oh, <laughs> I can act. And from that moment on, he acts. But when he's on ER, like he is on a fucking autopilot. Well, unfortunately, so the reason that we don't have Val Kilmer back, it's not just like they didn't want him, although apparently he and Schumacher did not get along very well on the set of Batman Forever. Right. I mean, there's rumors that Kilmer isn't always the easiest actor to work with. So I'm imagining big personalities on set and they probably repelled each other. Well, so it's that coupled with the fact that and Schumacher says like he didn't have a good working relationship with him. Like that's in one of the featurettes. But apparently, you know, Kilmer wanted to work on the island of Dr. Moreau since Marlon Brando was cast in that film. But then Kilmer is saying he was not aware of the fast track production and was already committed to the saint by the time he found out the sequel was moving forward so quickly. So he was like, I didn't have time. But then Schumacher is saying, well, his representatives didn't tell us he was doing another film until the 11th hour. So there's, again, there's a bit of a different mm. stories there, but it sounds like neither one of them really wanted to do it. Just blame the other one anyway. <laughs> oh, too bad. So sad. We just couldn't make it happen. Neither one of us really tried. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have to get the biggest star on television to be to do this. They so then they decided, you know, well, we need to we need to tone down on the homoeroticism. So you've got this like Boo. you've got this this stupid Batman and Robin fighting with each other over poison ivy, and then they made the most critical error, which was focusing more on Robin. And and casting the the least charismatic actor of the nineties. Oh, but he was so hot. Oh, I like Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if he shuts up and just wanders around, I'm not saying anything about his appearance. He's he's very attractive, but he just he's a black hole of charisma. I disagree with that. I mean, I I don't think he's good in this movie, but like I I God, I think this is considered Can you a bad point movie. to the movie he's good in because I would like to watch that. <laughs> I I okay. I I, I want to say a movie, but it's I know it's not going to be good because I think it's considered a bad movie. But um, The Bachelor with Renee Zellweger. <laughs> oh my God, what are you even talking about? <laughs> it's, it's when so it's 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 a movie. It's like 2000, 2001. It's basically where his 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 uncle or dad or something dies, and they say, "Hey, we're going to leave you your fortune, but you're a fucking schmuck who like is like a ladies' man. So I'm not going to give you your fortune unless you're married by like the clock, the stroke of midnight on your like 30th birthday or whatever. And that happens to be in like two weeks. And so he puts an ad in the paper for a bride. <laughs> 
Trace, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, it's a movie called The Bachelor, and Renee Zellweger is his girlfriend, but she he's like she's like mad at him or something, and so she doesn't want to get married, so then he puts out the uh, the article. It's it's probably not good, but I remember watching it a lot as a kid. <laughs> oh my god. No. I'm just saying no to that. Anyway. <laughs> You're right. You should say no to it. It is not good. And you should perhaps rewatch that motion picture again before you start recommending it to people. I'm just saying, I think he's good in it. Maybe the movie uh, isn't good, but mm. I, I think there's charisma there. But anyway, moving on to our villains, though. So to get freeze, um, Schwarzenegger said he was very interested. Uh, but Schumacher, again, this is weird. Schumacher doesn't say this, but <laughs> it's in this 10 years later interview where Schwarzenegger says that Schumacher told him that if he didn't take the part of Mr. Freeze, then he wouldn't direct the movie. And so Schwarzenegger's like, so I felt really bad, so I took it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His armor cost about a million and a half dollars to develop. Schwarzenegger declined to shave his head, so he wore a bald cap and a blue LED light in his mouth. Uh, He had acrylic paint applied to his head and neck to the point where his prosthetic makeup and wardrobe took six hours to apply each day, but... He had a contract limit of 12-hour work days, so he could oh only, he was in the makeup chair for six hours and could only film for another six hours. <laughs> There's a reason why whenever the camera turns to him, he's not in the frame with yep. anyone else, because they don't have time for coverage. They're just pickups of him throughout the day, and then they got to get him out the door. And at the same time, that light that's in his mouth is electrifying him half the time. Oh, God. Well, he got paid $25 million for that. So that's literally a six, this a, a 20% of their budget went to Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Which is weird to me because I, I mean, obviously, this is one of those kind of like trapped in amber situations where it's like, okay, yes, he would go on to become the fucking governor, but he had already been Terminator. Like, this is such a weird stage in Arnold's career. But clearly, he was still a huge fucking get if they were willing to pay him that much money. So another thing is he was also filming Eraser around this time for Warner Brothers. And so he had Warner Brothers execs going to him, trying to egg him on to take this role. Huh. Also, that movie is actually kind of fun. Oh, Eraser is legitimately fun. Chuck Russell, man. Terrible special effects, but legitimately fun. James (sighs) Cond is going ham. (laughs) (laughs) but there's like a nail gun thing that happens in that movie that's really good and also Mm -hmm. he shoots either an alligator or a crocodile and then his pun because we all know the schwarzenegger puns he goes your luggage um okay so he doesn't just shoot he shoots the glass barrier in the crocodile pen and unleashes a slew of crocodiles on all the villains that are shooting at him Mm -hmm. (laughs) how else are you gonna get out of that situation this is the only way out the oh, only way. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Schwarzenegger. For Ivy, uh, Schumacher, actually, he went after Thurman because of her role in Terry Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And Thurman took the role. I mean, she wasn't like a big blockbuster name by this point, but she she was just like, I don't want to do a damsel in distress. And he was like, no, 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 I have you playing a villain and you're going to be a femme fatale. So that was her thing. Um, I would argue she is the best part of this movie. 100%. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Silverstone was the only choice for the role of Batgirl. Uh, prior to filming, she was reported to have lost... Oh, this is horrible. Okay, so... <sighs> She was supposed to have lost 10 pounds for the role, but apparently scenes of her in the bat suit had to be scrapped because she gained the weight back and couldn't fit in the costume or something. So I I don't know if I buy that because I'm like, you spent $125 million on this movie. Why don't you just like make her another costume? Because they wanted her to be skinny and fuckable. 
Yeah, and so the media became a frenzy of Silverstone too fat for the Batsuit headlines, and that's why we don't have a lot of her in the suit in this movie, and also why it's just really fucked up. Like the, the, the press around this movie circled around, Alicia Silverstone got fat. Well, she was a knit girl, and there's nothing society hates more than someone who a year ago, everyone decided, is the hottest person on earth. And a year later, they're like, oh, my God, get out of my face. I hate you. And it's not the person. It's the media who's constantly telling you they're the hottest person on Earth. So they have to shoot that star out of the sky. And the way they did it with her was too fat for the bat costume. And I hate to tell you guys, she is not fat at any point she in this motion not. picture. No, nope. no. And even if she fucking was. It all went to the right fucking places. It's so stupid. And all of it is just misogynist bullshit. Mm-hmm. I think she looks really good in this movie. Like, yeah. I, I know that some people quibble with her portrayal of Barbara. They feel like she's, you know, kind of acting in a weird, like, auto-correct kind of way. Like, <laughs> the lie delivery is not super great. I think, Trace, before we start recording, you mentioned you feel like she's better once she actually gets in the Batsuit, and I would agree with that. But I think she's really cute in this movie. Like, she's very much the Alicia Silverstone that I remember liking. She just kind of looks like she's in over her head a little. There's no actor on Earth who can deliver the lines written for that character in a way (laughs) that would make them sound natural. Or as if a human being thought them in their head and they shoved out their mouth hole. Yeah, the it's not the problem wasn't her. It's just this the character and the way it's written and and the mm-hmm. you know the 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 plot such as it is that she's given just does her no favors. It it really adds you know getting back to the whole you know well we need you know we, we want to sell toys. She seems to exist mostly because someone said, hey, we probably ought to make a toy that girls are going to want. Exactly. Yeah, yes. I, and yes, I 100, because again, they, they changed the character's backstory. No longer is she Commissioner Gordon's daughter. She's Alfred's niece, which we Somehow. can talk about that when we get to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> we so, have it's a real questions. Palpatine return from, is back from the dead sort of. Uh, plot device that just doesn't make any fucking sense. I'm telling y'all, my husband and I were watching this, and first of all, his thing was like, he was like, why does Gotham City look like the Jetsons? Why is everything like 200 stories tall, and it looks like there's flying cars going around? But also, he's like, we were trying to do the math on this. It's like, okay, maybe Alfred had a much younger sister. Maybe it worked out, and even then, it doesn't make any sense, but they show the picture of his sister, Peg, and it's like this Mm -hmm. black and white uh, headshot uh-huh. from the 40s it's like it's like yeah it's like it's like someone's it's like some actress's headshot from the 1940s mm-hmm. i believe that is his wife's headshot from the Aww. 40s oh, well That's there you sweet. go the other controversial aspect of this film is of course the nipples in the bat suit um i will mm-hmm. say though that there are nipples in the bat suit in the in batman forever they're just more pronounced in this film right. um also being weird though so o'donnell and uh uh clooney were having weird issues so <laughs> there were they had pictures recently released of them in their suits and it very much looked like robin's cod piece was much larger than batman's and the mm-hmm. issue is because they were actually the same size but because o'donnell is shorter it was a it was a like a relativity issue so clooney told showmonker to tell the press that val kilmer's suit fit him perfectly but he had to make the cod piece bigger just to like do a dig at val kilmer <laughs> God, Good I love God. that it's a literal big dick contest. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so principal photography takes place mostly at Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank. Uh, it lasts for about four months, from September 96 to January of 97. Um, but they did finish shooting two weeks ahead of schedule. Oh my god, how? I <laughs> I have no idea. But I think the use of body doubles aided with this. Because, yeah, as, as Patrick said, we, you know, we had Clooney working three or four days on this a week, and then three or four days on uh, on ER a week. And then also, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger's... Like, O'Donnell says that despite spending a lot of time with Schwarzenegger off of the set and during promotion for the film, they actually never worked a single day together during production. And this was achieved using all these stand-ins whenever one of the actors was unavailable, which was Holy quite shit. often. <laughs> that is some movie fucking magic right there. <laughs> So that wasn't, like, actors being unavailable wasn't the only issue this production had. Um, filming was temporarily halted in the fall of 96 when Freeze's blaster prop disappeared from the film set. They had to open a police investigation, culminating in the raid of a film memorabilia collector's home. Um... <laughs> <laughs> high public interest in the film caused security issues on set paparazzi regularly disrupted it uh photographs of Schwarzenegger taken during filming sold for ten thousand dollars so they got to the point where as actors would leave their trailer to walk to the set they would have people hired to hold giant poster boards up to hide them as they were walking them to the set that's like my first job i was a sandwich board person who just walked back and forth so i'm like oh i could have been doing that on the set of batman and robin apparently warner brothers is uniquely situated uh, on the other side of the valley from main part of hollywood and there's a lot of it's a, a, a butted up against Griffith Park. So if you have a really long lens, you can mm. absolutely see what's doing in there. Well, so once it actually... Okay, so on top of this $125 million budget, and there are some reports that say the budget actually ballooned to $160 million, but they did spend another $125 million marketing this fucker. Oh boy, that is a lot of toys Yeesh. they want to sell. I'm just going to keep saying it, folks. <laughs> it's not more egregious than all the puns so it's fine so the film opens on june 20th 1997 and the number one spot with an opening weekend gross of 42.9 million dollars making it the third highest opening weekend gross of 1997 behind only men in black and the lost world jurassic park the only other new release that weekend was my best friend's wedding which opened in the number two spot with 21.7 million dollars which honestly for a holdover is pretty good for counter-programming i mean folks go back and listen to our starship troopers episode because we talk about a bunch of movies that came out around that time period mm -hmm. like 1997 was a good fucking year yeah but unfortunately not for this movie because the second weekend uh this movie dipped 63 percent and fell to the number three spot um because of the release of face off that next weekend which was number one and disney's hercules which was number two that weekend uh it stayed in the top 10 for five weeks, and just for comparison, Batman Forever only, quote-unquote, dipped 45% in its second weekend and stayed in the top 10 for seven weeks. It winds up with a final gross of $107.3 million and an international gross of $130.9 million for a worldwide total of $238.2 million. That's about $100 million less than Batman Forever. That's what gets you fired, right? If you come in about $100 to $80 million less than the previous film, you get turfed. It did break even, though. Yeah, I don't think that's mm. enough considering what they wanted to do with it. And you have to consider foreign. You're not getting all that money back because of exchange rates. Yeah, and I, I don't recall. I, I you had younger siblings who would have been the target market audience for these things. And I do not recall the toys 
making a big splash. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You would think that Freeze and Ivy would at least, but maybe that's just because I, I would have bought them. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, this was the ninth highest grossing film of 97, as well as the lowest grossing live action Batman film to date. As for reviews, so... Um, It is considered to be one of the worst superhero films and among the worst films ever made. Uh, We've got a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 3.8 out of 10. It's got a 28 out of 100 on Metacritic. Cinemascore audiences gave it a C+, and Letterboxd users have awarded it a 3.8 out of 10. Hmm. All right. I don't really want to go into all these reviews because I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about the film ourselves, uh, but I did want to uh, highlight, quote-unquote, Harry Knowles' review for this oh, film. God. Must oh, no. Oh, <sighs> okay. boy. I think it's just as bad as the film itself, but just a portion. So he asks, you know, who comes out of this film unscathed? Because no shocker, he hated this movie. And this is what he says. George Clooney manages to weather the storm with minor cuts and bruises. Michael Goff seems to look like he actually is acting despite the film around him. Everyone else is absolutely the worst they have ever been. Arnold has never been in a film this bad and inconsistent in tone. Hercules Goes Bananas is at least somewhat balanced in tone. His performance, if you could call it that, was terrible. He was the best of the terrible performances, though. Uma was so bad, so awful, my friend, and I literally grabbed vainly in front of us as if in some desperate hope to rip her violently off of the screen. Or, or just sexually assault her, as you did other people. <laughs> oh, shit, Patrick. <laughs> fucking come for me, Harry Knowles. <laughs> All I was going to say was, wow, he is a terrible fucking writer, but uh, yeah, drag him, because he deserves it. He goes even further, saying that Elliot Goldenthal's Poison Ivy theme, the saxophone theme, uh, it hurts not only an already terrible performance, but contaminates the rest of the film, too. Oh, fuck off. That's a great theme. I know! <laughs> I have to know, like, what, you know, what he thought would have been a better way to approach that character. Because I I feel like you you can't, again, I'm not super well-versed in Batman lore. I mean, I knew enough to know that that Batgirl is not related to Alfred. But I always (laughs) assumed that, you know, uh, Poison Ivy is supposed to be kind of, you know, vampy and campy. And I mean, she literally blows pheromone dust in people's faces so like how are you not supposed to be you know like sort of a may west meets betty davis kind of thing i don't know how you you could play that character any other way that's this interpretation of the character and like and even in the animated series she was kind of like your femme fatale vamp in the decades since she's definitely evolved because now she's She's still a villain, like, she's on the Harley Quinn animated show that's on HBO Max, but it's, and she's, you know, in a relationship with Harley Quinn, but she's more of a, uh, like a deadpan. She's more like an intellectual. She's very smart. Yes, yeah, yeah. They they, they very much, and she wears, you know, a jacket and pants. She doesn't have, like, the sexy look that, that we have in this movie and in the animated series. But yeah, so yeah, no one liked this. Uh, this film got 11 Razzie Award nominations, only winning one, and I want you to guess which one it won. So we have Worst Picture, Worst Remake or Sequel. Worst Reckless Disregard for Human Life and Public Property. <laughs> what? <laughs> worst <laughs> Worst Director. Worst Screenplay. Worst Supporting Actor for Chris O'Donnell. Worst Actor for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Two Worst Supporting Actress nominations. One for Alicia Silverstone and one for Uma Thurman. Worst Screen Couple for George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell. And Worst <laughs> Song for Billy Corgan's This... Oh. The end is the beginning is the end, which... No, fuck off. What? (laughs) 
guess who won or lost or whatever well i i would i would say it should be worse screenplay but i because this is the razzies they're probably going after a woman mm, which one though uh i don't know alicia silverstone i'm gonna say alicia silverstone. Yeah, silverstone won yeah it, uh yeah <laughs> worst supporting actress for her she barely she barely gets anything to do i don't even know why yeah you can't really put that on her because she has so little to do oh but gina you're forgetting about misogyny and how we hate <laughs> oh I'm such, of course i'm sorry you probably don't know this because you are in fact a woman and possess right. the right brain. Th- thank and you so- <laughs> thank you it, it helps that there are three other men that can really hold I, you I by know, the hand I'm, I'm and guide so you I'm so grateful to have the three of you here to guide me. Well, <laughs> so just so y'all know, so the other people she was nominated against that she lost against, so it was Faye Dunaway for Albino Alligator, Uma Thurman, obviously, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Father's Day, and this is fucked up, Mila Jovovich for The Fifth Element. What? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great performance. I know! <laughs> The Razzies are all it's just a room full of confused boners. <sighs> right. Well, nevertheless, uh, the legacy of this film, and then I'll pass it off to you, Joe. Um, you know, in 2009, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige said that this movie may be the most important comic book movie ever made because it was so bad that it demanded a new way of doing things uh, and opened up the doors for the X-Men and Spider-Man adaptations we would get about oh, five years later. Joel Schumacher's apologized for the film and takes full responsibility, saying, I want to apologize to every fan that was disappointed because I think I owe them that. A lot of it was my choice. No one is responsible for my mistakes but me. Screenwriter Akiba Goldsman also apologized and says, we didn't mean for it to be bad. I swear, (laughs) nobody was like, this will be bad. And elaborating that the film was initially intended to be darker in tone, which that's, you know... Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Also debatable, because the previous film totally worked, so they were going to keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Clooney uh, constantly speaks critically of it. He has apparently gone on record as, like, giving people money who told him they saw it and refunding them for it. Schwarzenegger uh, says he doesn't regret making it, but uh, but he kind of softens the blow at the same time by saying, you know, I was doing Eraser at the same time, and Warner Brothers execs were begging me to do it. Compare that to Uma Thurman, who just this year described her work on the film as a fantastic experience (laughs) she should she's fun she should be proud of this movie she should be she's she's having she's having fun nobody else looks like they're having fun i think schwarzenegger looks like he's having fun see i mm, i don't disagree i feel like his definition of what fun is in this movie isn't resonating with the audience whereas it really truly does feel like uma understands this assignment and she's like giving the exact right performance yeah i kind of can't figure out if i find schwarzenegger funny oh this is gonna sound terrible and xenophobic but i can't figure i can't figure out if i think he's funny because of his performance or just because he's constantly yell screaming his puns with a sometimes unintelligible accent i mean it could be a little from column a I mean, you you could have James Earl Jones saying these lines, and 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 he's gonna he even he would sound ridiculous saying "Remember my name" because it's the chilling sound of your doom. <laughs> I mean, how, how do you how do you do how do you do that and not immediately say "What the fuck did I just say?" Watch the numbers, Batman. It is 
<laughs> wild that he cannot say Batman, but really is constantly <laughs> saying Batman. Batman as if he's yeah. Jim Batman, attorney at law. <laughs> Woodwatch. And the last little bit of I have is before uh, is just like apparently, and there's a rumor, and I don't, I know, I know he said it at least once, but apparently before every single time Schumacher yelled action on this movie, he told everyone in the room, "Remember, this is a cartoon," and let them go. Mm-hmm. I feel like. It's either for this film or for the previous film or maybe for both of them. But yeah, like Schumacher knew. Here's the thing. Schumacher always knew what he was doing. He's a very adept filmmaker. So I think when he took on this assignment, he was like, I was hired to make these movies for kids and we're not taking them too seriously because we just want them to be entertaining and also apparently sell toys. And that's what he is doing. I do think you're right, Patrick. I think Akiva Goldman should bear the brunt of most of our wrath because it's like, did you need to put in 28 puns in 45 minutes of screen time? Like, maybe you could edit a little fucking bit. And the other thing is, it there's an, an intentionality to the characters in Forever that are, is lacking here. Outside of Mr. Freeze, everyone's backstory is, I'm annoyed with you. And that's it's where it starts <laughs> and where it ends. And so when Batman and Robin are bickering at one another oh constantly, uh, uh. About, you don't appreciate me enough like an old married couple. And you're like, would you just fuck already? It would mm-hmm. just make life so much better if you would fuck. And they refuse to do it. They just don't trust one another or their penises. You got to stay over here and I got to stay over here. And we're both <laughs> going to be very frustrated. I just like the issue with them is the whole thing. Like we've, they, they realize, I want to say like two scenes after they first get hit with the pheromone, that the pheromone is making them act like this. And so you mm-hmm. would think that after that scene, they would be more good at like resisting the pheromone. <laughs> right? Like Batman is a fucking scientists like he and alfred in all of the previous iterations and future iterations immediately come up with things like antidotes and other things like why the fuck does it take them until the last scene when that when chris o'donnell goes to poison ivy's lair to be like oh i've got you know fake ass lips you can't rubber lips rubber lips (laughs) (laughs) so it was really funny too because before that kiss my husband was like oh he's got some lip gloss on i was like nope rubber (laughs) lips remember rubber lips it just looks like lip gloss. Yes. Uh, I also love they always they have like you know uh, the, the constant like thawing things on hand, and I we'll talk about the time frame of the, of the climax of this film and how none of Gotham City should be alive by the time the movie ends. <laughs> what are you talking about? You can't you can't thaw an entire city in eleven minutes with the power of the sun. But yeah, like they would literally. So yeah, you're thawing them, but you're also burning them to a crisp. <laughs> <laughs> I just th- th- there's no rationality to anything that happens in this motion picture. So by the mm-hmm. end of it, when they're freezing people and and uh, you know using satellites to reflect the sun from Africa, mm-hmm. like eh, fine, I don't sure. I don't fucking care. They, they surf on doors. <laughs> who cares? Yeah, you really do have to let things go with these movies. Mm-hmm. All right, well, shall we dig into it? Let's go. (laughs) 
Buckle up. All right. So we start with a frozen WB logo, and then we go into our credits. And then, of course, because it is a Schumacher Batman film, we have aforementioned anatomically correct rubber suits. We get the butts. We get the tits. We get the cod pieces. The butts jiggle. The butts. And that does not happen with Alicia Silverstone's character, which even goes to show... Schumacher had no head, didn't care whenever she was suiting up. But for these men, like, no, we got to make these butts jiggle. For whatever reason. I do recall a, a one funny moment in the theater when uh, Alicia Silverstone is suiting up. They show the close-up of her butt. Then uh, some gentleman, who I always appreciate in the in my audience, yelled out, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like yeah all right because i already I already knew the whole thing with you know her being supposedly too fat to fit in the suit and someone in that audience was appreciative mm. of it and also that gentleman was maybe like you know what i've had to sit through boy butts for the last like film and a half so it's finally my turn baby <laughs> so over soaring orchestral score we're reintroduced to batman played by george clooney as well as robin who is played by chris o'donnell and they are bantering about vehicles and we also have alfred their trusty butler played by michael go and he is just there to face his impending death oh i is it this scene actually where it's like we see him leaning against a stairwell and it's like oh guess he's sick mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's like he's like oh cancel he the excuses pizza. himself for the vapors He's like, yeah, and, and like, and then just like, oh, even that took too much. That took too much out of me. He's falling asleep on the job too. This man is eighty years old. What are you even doing, Bruce Wayne? Let this man retire. Well, that's the thing. I agree with Alicia Silverstone, where she's right? like, I'm trying to save him from his life of service. She's like, yes, do that. Why has this man not retired? <laughs> What, the, what does Bruce Wayne even need a butler for at this point? He is a single man. I mean, I love that this is Hollywood code for, well, if you're sick, you, yeah, you're you're laying down on the job or you're leaning against a pillar in the same way that it's like, well, if a woman is pregnant, we better show her puking. Mm-hmm. And I will say, this is a subplot that I really wish was cut out of this movie. I get that, you know, he has the same disease that Freeze's wife has, except stage one. But honestly... There's nothing else in this movie that you really... Like, it, it's not necessary to this film. And you can cut out all this Alfred shit to remove, like, let's say 10 minutes from this movie. Well, that's actually what we're going to do. So we're going to address the Alfred stuff right here and now. And then we will, like, casually talk around it for the rest of the episode. But let's <laughs> just lay this shit on the table because it's boring. So boring. And that's the thing, though, is, like, you know, you're, they're, they're trying to go campy, fun, stupid. But then we have this, which is tonally off from the other, like, everything else they're trying to do in this film. And that's why I don't like it. I wouldn't be surprised if we did this because we knew that he was sick in real life. And it was like we're trying to give him the farewell because we don't know if he'll be in another movie. But it is weird like i've seen a number of people say why do we spend all this time on this and then just miraculously cure him in the 11th hour well to me it feels like that it's all just an excuse to get barbara to discover the bat cave because he keeps talking about right. oh i've got i've got this brother i've got this brother wilfred which that feels like that's supposed to that was supposed to be something originally that they they didn't do anything with he mentions his brother like five times and how he he can't seem to get a hold of him and it's like okay is this like 
uh, a mystery that they're going to have to solve as to, you know, why his brother isn't responding to his letters or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, here's this. No. Here, you know, yeah, nothing's done with this. We'd, we'd, ever, we'd ever hear from Wilfred or see him or anything. We get like a picture of him. So Alfred gives, <laughs> gives Barbara this, you know, this secret, you know, encrypted disc and now you know don't look at this wink wink you know go find wilfred and mm-hmm. and give it to him and it'll have all my secrets on it and of course she goes to you know look it up the 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 the, the code is peg the name of his sister i love i love, oh. I love the first code she puts it as bat is is alfred <laughs> that's like her first uh, hey, a password. i'm sorry a, th- a three-letter password a three-letter <laughs> password of a name <laughs> For the which, which protects For the, the entire bat cave from intrusion as though we didn't just get infiltrated in the last movie <laughs> yeah and and she's and and then like alfred paul's like oh well i knew you were going to do this and that's why i uploaded my brain to the bat computer <laughs> <laughs> oh what? wait <laughs> this i I have this line, but yeah, he uploaded his, oh my god, it's brain, his brain algorithm to the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're uploading brain algorithms, but we apparently can't figure out how to stop the pheromones from affecting Batman. And, and look, and look, uh, 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 Gina, you mentioned this, you know, where it's like, uh, this, she's not traditionally Alfred's niece or whatever in the comics. She is Commissioner Gordon's daughter and the funny thing is that michael goff and pat hingle pat hingle being commissioner gordon are the only people in these movies that are in all four of these batman movies but none of these films have done anything with commissioner gordon much Mm -hmm. less said that he had a daughter so they can't do that with batgirl in this movie so they wrote, wrote themselves into a corner and they're like okay we'll just make him make her alfred's niece and it's like that makes no fucking sense like it would have made more sense to have just said yeah we've never done anything with commissioner gordon but now he's got a daughter sure because it doesn't make any more sense to suggest that alfred randomly has a niece who p.s he says has traveled over from england and then she sounds like alicia silverstone from (laughs) clueless right my my niece who was born when i was 60 apparently right (laughs) even though your mom or my sister is apparently from the 1940s (laughs) it is baffling all this to say yeah so alfred is dying of this made-up disease called mcgregor syndrome i assume it's made up i didn't actually check it it is it's made up i'm like the symptoms appear to be that you can survive in suspended animation in a tube of water for the rest of your life that's a symptom And we're trying to track down this brother who apparently is also a butler to like the Maharaja, to which I was just like, have you ever heard of a family of fucking butlers? No. <laughs> it's a family business. <laughs> I guess it's like funereal uh, funereal services, right? Unless you're a woman, in which case you don't buttle. Right. <laughs> I'm a butler. I buttle, sir. <sighs> yeah. So, uh, you know, Alfred slowly dies throughout the entire movie. Nobody fucking cares enough to notice until all of a sudden we all do notice. And then it's, oh, well, Mr. Freeze, who is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, has this wife, Nora, who is played by Vendela Chrisenbaum. And uh, she apparently has the exact same unique disease. And Alfred's progression is lesser so by the end of the film mr freeze will be able to cure him voila 
so the end of the movie. I love that you say she's played by this actress. I guess maybe in the video footage we see when he's watching their home movies, but mm-hmm. the, her in the tube is a model of her. <laughs> it's a mannequin. <laughs> and, you know, and you know, she got she gets billing for this. Like be, beginning credits mm-hmm. billing. She was a big supermodel. I think I kind of remember her. You know who is a supermodel who's in this movie is Elle McPherson, who they are really trying to make happen in this movie. And every time oh she showed up, God. I was like, why? <laughs> oh, my God. And then you've got Vivica Fox, and uh, who also gets uh, beginning credits billing. It's one scene. And it's just it's like they they don't know what to do with anybody in this movie. It is wild. Well, they had Fox for one day. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I think Schumacher had just seen Independence Day. And he was like, oh, hey, you want to come over to the set for a day and be in this movie? And she was like, yeah, sure. I mean, she looks great, but this feels like we enjoyed having hot henchmen from like forever because if folks have forgotten drew barrymore as well as oh shit what's her name debbie mazer thank you yeah and debbie mazer are two faces hench women in that film but like they also don't get jack shit to do but it feels like we took the wrong lesson which is like oh well don't give them anything to do just cut down on the screen time so that a random incredibly attractive well-known actress shows up for literally one scene well but like also it is obvious that all of his henchmen are fucking freezing they are actively shivering in Mm -hmm. his den and then you have vivica a fox (laughs) in what's essentially like a snow tutu and just like silver (laughs) lipstick acting fine despite the fact that she says um what is she she has dry skin and brittle hair or something but it's fine Mm -hmm. anything for freeze even though he's already a taken man but she comes with a package she's part of the union package <laughs> he has no interest in her it's, it's hilarious i mean let's let's address the not so queer elephant in this room which is that this movie should be hornier like batman movies are often frequently horny and this movie often has a sexual energy to it um i mean when uma thurman's on screen it does yes again the woman who understands the assignment yeah i mean mr freeze is the ultimate wife guy he just he (laughs) he's not interested in his henchwoman does she even have a name yes actually one second let me see if i can find it Uh, a name so memorable you have to look it up yes her name is miss b haven He has no interest in, in in poison ivy, and she is coming on strong with him. Well, we we can talk a lot about poison. Why is poison ivy so interested in Mister Freeze? Why does she mm-hmm. think he's a guy? I mean, like, as much as I love Thurman's performance, what I hate about the character is that she is constantly relying on men to do her things, and that yes. Im- includes Bane. Oh yes. yeah. So let's get into these introductions because we have Commissioner Gordon sort of instigating the plot by saying hey, there's a new villain who's attacking Gotham Museum of Art, and we get this hockey fight, which (laughs) baffles me as a Canadian. Batman (laughs) skates down a dinosaur on his introduction. (laughs) Is this the only Batman to pull a Fred Flintstone? (laughs) Quite possibly. (laughs) Yet. Yeah, so we, we do also explode that dinosaur, and then we take off in a rocket ship because it's basically just what will boys like the Batman movie edition. And then, yes, we end this action sequence, which I think is like 11 minutes it's long so or something. Long. And 
it ends with Batman and Robin sky surfing back down into a frozen furnace where Robin is frozen because he's too impetuous, ladies and gentlemen, and he doesn't listen to Batman. He comes too fast from behind. Yeah, he uh, right right before that, right before that, Robin actually says "cowabunga," which was the first of. Many times that I that I that I cringed during this movie. Oh my god! Between that and Alfred being like, "I'll cancel the pizza," I was like, "Are we doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?" <laughs> yeah, because that's cool. Mine was uh, whenever Batman and Freeze are in the rocket, and George Clooney just delivers this line exactly like this: "Freeze, you're mad. <laughs> like, You'll kill what? thousands of people." <laughs> we're going to ice cold i'm space. so tired i had this really intense scene with juliana margulies all day and now i'm here and i'm supposed to care but we're on a rocket ship that costs five dollars <laughs> so he shoots a red laser into water to thaw him sure i i assume he just like like he let's heat it up the water which i mean i guess that sure yeah. that's somehow laser heats without... up water that's what lasers do <laughs> Gina, do you need Patrick to mansplain everything to you? That's what lasers I, I just, do. I, I, I guess I just need help. I guess I just need help with physics now, too. My goodness. You laser things at home to heat them up for your husband? Come on. It's <laughs> oh <my laughs> a weird dynamic that we've landed on, Gina, after seven years. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. This is when Gina exits the chat and is like, fuck you all. <laughs> Okay, so let's jump down to South America, where we're introduced to botanist Dr. Pamela Isley, played by Uma Thurman. I'm sorry, the intro, when we see, like, the long shot of this fortress, we have mm -hmm. this random stop-motion lizard on a tree? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Choices. Other otherwise, it would just be a matte painting, and those aren't interesting to, to remain on for an entire fucking minute. Uh, green lightning too that is what happens in south south america it's like castle dracula yeah like the the design of this even the decision to have this based in south america doesn't make any sense to me like why are we having to relocate our villains it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me well they don't have a rainforest outside of gotham city so they it has to be south america there are no other tropical locales <laughs> it's just florida come on but thurman is on point from the get-go here because even her first line which is just like she's like talking to her little like recording device and she is dialed up to 11 from minute one it's weird because her performance should become grating because there's nowhere for it to go and yet I found myself just absolutely wallowing in this Mae West impression accent. Like, I think I had completely forgotten how she sounds throughout this, and her line delivery is so fucking good. It did something. She does vacillate between English accent or some mm -hmm. sort of mid-Atlantic right. and Mae West. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like... They played around with it and then figured it out, but those early scenes, she's vacillating quite a bit. Is it just because she's not Poison Ivy yet, though, right? Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> because that's what this does. She gets sucked into the earth and then comes out hotter with a full face of makeup. But only after we, we get these encounters with John Glover as Dr. Jason Woodrue and... I mean, speaking of camping it up, like we haven't really said, this movie is super fucking campy. And like, 
most of the people get it, but then a bunch of people don't. So mm-hmm. all of the campy scenes play incredibly fun. And watching, you know, John Glover play off Uma Thurman as we get this ridiculous Bane transformation, which everyone hated. Yeah, I don't like it's the Bane fun. stuff. I mean, also important to note, though, Jason Woodrow is a very famous villain in DC Comics. He's the Swamp yeah. Thing nemesis Floronic Man. <laughs> right. This is a, a weird decision. Like, we're very much learning the wrong lessons from Batman Returns and Batman Forever, which is like when in doubt add an extra villain so it's like well bane is very popular let's add him uh well let's set up you know basic like i feel like spider-man did this a lot as well where it's like we just don't trust that the audience will be interested in one villain so let's add two let's add three well if you keep adding people from the bat family you have to up the odds <laughs> on the other side of it so that by the end of this it's like a college football game where they're introducing each other from the north and the south <laughs> i'm just happy that we had a lady villain to fight our lady hero because what else would we do i would be so confused if i had to watch a man and a woman fight it's just my my big issue is i mean because bane's <laughs> Bane doesn't fit the tone of this movie because Bane comes from a very separate, like, era of the comics. And around this time, he was famous for breaking Batman's back. Yeah, it's why he's in this movie, because he was super famous for that. Yes, but at the same time, narratively speaking, he only exists to be Poison Ivy's muscle. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, that's just not interesting to me. Yeah, no. The character is really boring. Like, that was actually one of my big takeaways when I saw this in the theater was is a character okay, i don't really know bane i'm pretty sure that's not the right way to do him based on what i had known of his comic origins and then i was just like this is boring this character is really dull why did they bother to include him to chauffeur poison ivy <laughs> <laughs> and where did they pick up that orange mercedes benz like did you have bank accounts we're unaware of like uh... Uh, if I start going down this road of how did this happen, we'll never get it's out. every scene of the movie, every shot of this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I will just say, in terms of, like, I'm a mad scientist, when you pump a chemical into a dude's brain and it's got a lot of air bubbles, that's not going to go well for no. you. That's just bad mad science 101 the venom thing is is a bane trait like that was obviously removed for the um the christopher nolan movie but yeah outside of that it's just like what <laughs> like what are we doing here i mean my favorite thing is the costume design which was so obviously created strictly with the toys in mind where it's like well how about we hit the button in the middle and it can have a sound effect and the kids will love okay. that actually one of my a genuine laugh i got from this is whenever later in the film they're showing the airplane like security footage <laughs> oh my god that shot on the tarmac yes and yes. you have bane like Might in a fucking trench coat <laughs> honestly trace having covered adam's family values just like a month ago mm-hmm. at this point i was like oh this looks like we could be doing a <laughs> joan cusack thing right now <laughs> Yeah, so we've got dumb shit between Bruce and Dick where, you know, I think part of my problem is is that so much of the rest of the film is campy, but then this stuff, they're yeah. trying to be really emotionally grounded. So we've got Alfred's dying off in the corner at every scene, and then we've got Dick and Bruce being like, well, if you don't abide by my rules while well, you're living under my roof, I'm going to kick you out, and you don't understand me. Why can't I ride a car instead of a motorcycle? And you're just like, who? 
fucking cares? Like, hey, we did this last movie, too. We resolved that by the end of Batman Forever. But they don't have any ideas as now that they're stuck with Robin, they don't have any ideas as to what to do with him. So they have to be in conflict. And instead of figuring out something that revolves around the characters they are, they just introduce like we're both horny for the same woman who's been drugging us and it's like what <laughs> what are we talking about here why would batman turn off his sidekick's motorcycle right before he's supposed Ooh. to jump it's literally <laughs> more dangerous than letting the motherfucker jump yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we also get bruce going here's where everything goes north boy <laughs> 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 boy yeah, so most of the plot of this movie, as it were, is uh, Mr. Freeze trying to collect various diamonds because his suit is not only powered by them, but also he wants to freeze the world or at least hold it hostage under the threat of being frozen so that they will pay for his continued research to basically save his wife. So we've got no less than, I think, three different charity auction events slash grand <laughs> openings in this movie. It's a busy social calendar in Gotham City. Yeah, it's all that ever happens in Gotham City is like just things opening. <laughs> but, but like, what is the timeline of this movie? Like, are these back to back to back days okay but are there's, weeks there's, passing the, the thing with freeze and I, I i don't know much about his comic history and like how how they start kind of adapting like what makes him evil blah 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 but like okay this movie yeah he's trying to steal diamonds initially to uh to fuel his thing to do this research and he's gonna hold the city hostage you know like just like joe said but at the end of the movie you know he gets arrested and put in arkham bruce literally goes you have all the resources you need all the mm-hmm. money you need here mm-hmm. you go did Freeze try applying for grants um, before he turned to a life of crime? It's <laughs> like, well, you know what? I tried once and I was denied for a shirk and I just said, well, fuck it. It's a life of crime for me. Listen, I need diamonds for my giant suit. Here we go. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny, though, because it, that, that's kind of what the Riddler does in the first one, right? He wants Wayne yep. to go over whatever uh, mind control thing he has and Wayne says no. Same thing happens to Poison Ivy in this movie. She's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. l- l- let's uh, stop using all fossil fuels and kill half the planet. <laughs> he says no. <laughs> uh, it, it's really funny. Um, sane people won't say yes to your villainous plan when you say, I actively want to kill people. <laughs> like, that's not the way to sell your grand design. <sighs> So one of these events is the opening of Gotham's Observatory, where Bruce Wayne is going to donate this giant telescope. And it's basically Chekhov's satellite network. And we've got these two techs who are played by Michael Paul Chan and Kimberly Scott. And I hate these motherfucking characters for what happens in the climax, where we just have to watch them hang off the side of this thing for about five minutes and go oh oh my god it's all worth it just screaming and mugging for for what feels like forever it's all worth it though for for that for the guy scientist to go oh what a day (laughs) at this point you've been hanging off a satellite for five minutes and Mm -hmm. now it's a day i mean it was a day before that my friend let's not forget though that whenever freeze walks into that observatory at the end of the movie the guy goes who's this bozo as if freeze Mm -hmm. hasn't been over every single fucking news bulletin since the beginning of the movie (laughs) 
Yeah, perhaps you miss the other charitable grand openings and or auction houses when he literally like froze half of the guests and or crashed. Why would you have a charitable opening in Gotham? Because right? every time we see them, <laughs> it is interrupted by the villain of the week and the 10 or so people he's currently employed to ice skate for him. Mm-hmm. And they come and steal your shit. Well, we at least th- that that's a plot point for the next one we get when Poison Ivy takes over because they're using it as a trap. But I got to say, mm-hmm. I am really I, I got to see these auditions Freeze is having for his minions because they have to be able, as you said, ice skate. Yes, mm-hmm. they have to ice skate and they have to be OK with eating unfrozen, uh, unthawed out TV dinners that are frozen to their forks. His layer <laughs> is like the Happy Snow ice cream place. And it's like. Wouldn't that be, like, the first place people would look if they wanted to go find Freeze's lair? <laughs> uh, e- excuse you, excuse you, it's called Snowy Cones. Oh, I'm sorry. Snowy Cones <laughs> ice cream. It's not even snow cones, it's ice cream. So people are going to go there and think they want snow cones, but there's only ice cream available. Right. But yeah, I mean, everything is so hit you in the head literal in this movie that it's like, well, of course he's going to be hiding out in a lair that's called Snowy Cones. Like, just where else could he be? And he watches specifically and strictly ice and snow related media. (laughs) (laughs) If he sees something that's too hot, he might get too hot. That's just biology. Yeah, it's like, if you're cold, he's cold. Keep him outside this winter. (laughs) Um, What else do we have going on? So at this point, Barbara has shown up, but also she's sneaking out late at night on motorcycles. Where is she going? Ooh, it's a mystery. This is, I hate this subplot. This whole, the, again, I think it's like a 10 minute motorcycle, neon street motorcycle chase. I hate it so much. It does not belong in this movie. Well, Warner Brothers loves any opportunity to use the IP of the Droogs and Mm -hmm. shove it into other films. And so (laughs) you get that great motocross rivalry of the Mozarts versus the Droogs versus bony people Uh and pink haired lesbians by the look of it. It's uh, it's really C-grade warriors territory. And it's all overseen by, may he rest in peace, Coolio. Coolio <laughs> playing a character named Banker. Well, so I, I don't know if y'all saw this in your research, but this was apparently supposed to be a secret cameo. And yes, right, his character, he's he's credited as Banker, but he was, if we got another film after this, going to play Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow. So it was going to be revealed that his character what? in this movie was what? Jonathan what? Crane. That makes no oh, sense. Oh, what? oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. The plot for the fifth movie was going to be, it's Jonathan Crane, and Harley Quinn was going to come in, but Harley Quinn was going to be Jack Nicholson, the Joker's daughter, who was getting revenge on Batman for his murder, and then, using Scarecrow's fear toxin, we were going to have cameo appearances from all the previous villains in the the films. Oh. I would have liked that. Yeah, it sounds really cool, except for Coolio. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think we we, we went to the place, when you see him on screen here, like... Like, that's a leading man. You can tell. <laughs> For a bit, I was like, Patrick, what? <laughs> Are you being held hostage? Blink twice. <laughs> I'm sorry. Coolio's ghost is in the room. Oh. <laughs> He's taking me on a fantastic voyage. Please help me. Oh, God. 
But honestly, this whole sequence, which is obviously meant to connote potential romance between Dick and Barbara and suggest, you know, they've got a lot in common. They both got dead parents and can ride motorcycles. Barf. Um, (laughs) It it weirdly feels like a precursor to like a Fast and the Furious movie. Like we're talking about family so much in this movie. And then we've just got this extended motorcycle chase scene. It's like Papa Corona and bring in Vin Diesel. Nothing denotes the speed and danger of motorbikes. Like scene after scene after scene of motorcycles driving inside of sound stages. Like this doesn't take place anywhere outside. It's all inside. So they're going like 25 miles per hour down these fake bridges because you can't go any faster. You'll hit the wall. It just (laughs) everything about this is just cutting the legs out of the tension or the enjoyment or the action. It's so boring. And 85% of the dialogue is ADR. (laughs) You're you're completely on sound stages. You're telling me you cannot capture fucking sound on a sound stage? Well, and and you've actually addressed another issue that people have really had with this film. And I'm sorry if anybody likes this movie. Like, I think we're all sort of on the same page that there are aspects of it that you can enjoy. I enjoy the campier elements of it. Like it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but I don't particularly like it. I will say I didn't remember how bad or frenetic the editing is until that opening sequence, like the action sequence where we're fighting Mr. Freeze in the frozen museum. Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. I am watching the worst edited music video with hockey players in it right now. Oh, y'all. I gave this movie three stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> you find it a good time. That's fine. It's entertaining. I find it very entertaining. Flaw- but, 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 uh, sometimes intentionally so, but also unintentionally so. Right. <laughs> so speaking of uh, cardboard cutouts, yes, we have mentioned that Elle McPherson plays Julie Madison, Bruce's love interest slash beard. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes is where, like, basically she exists solely to accompany Bruce to these various events and also to tell him, you know, Bruce, I'm not going to wait around forever. I don't want to force you to do anything, but we should get married. But also when you kissed me, you called me another woman's name. I, I do like how she, she says, well, you know, you're a dedicated bachelor, which I I, I feel like mm-hmm. that was a little bit of a, a wink at the audience. Like, yeah, yeah, we know, Bruce. We know what you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> we, we know that you sleep in a castle with men. Wait, what? Who said that? <laughs> I just like... like I, it's another case. I mean, look, if this, if I, you can cut her out of this movie. It means fucking nothing because unfortunately Absolutely. Bruce has the least plot in this movie. <laughs> and it's just like, why are we adding this in when we already have so much other shit clogging this two hour and five minute runtime? Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's ridiculous. It feels like a carryover to the story that we started in forever, where we wanted to talk about Bruce's commitment issues and his battle to balance his personal life and his crime fighting life, which is like an eternal Batman storyline, especially in the films. But it's like, if you go back and watch Batman forever... Dr. Chase Meridian is an entire fucking character. She gets to do things in that movie. Mm -hmm. She's not just Bruce Wayne's girlfriend. Also, Nicole Kidman really confused my sexuality for a hot minute because of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Elle McPherson, she, she she just disappears 
after about maybe hour right. 10 minutes in never mentioned again we we don't know what did they did they break up did they you know like like when she's introduced oh they've been dating a while have they how mm-hmm. long have they been dating because i i get the i get the impression that this is only maybe like a year or two after the events of, of batman forever so it's, it's sure. like okay, you know how how long have they been dating I think they say like three years. Yeah, she's she's never she's never put in any danger, and, and again, it, it, you know, like with pretty much you know all the supporting characters, they they don't know what to do with this character. She's a beard. She is a beard. There's nothing. This movie, if anything, speaks to being gay in Hollywood in 1997. It's so that you have to bring this unconvincing broad with you to your arm, on your arm for every single function you attend, and that is literally her her only point yeah because it's funny right like we don't see dick at any of these charitable events even though it's like so bruce you're not bringing your charge to any of these things like he's not making society debuts you're not trying to match him up he doesn't have a beard it's like oh no i just uh i leave my fuck boy at home (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean when i when i put the movie on i'm like does bruce wade have a have a girlfriend in this i really don't remember and, she, and then she showed like oh right her it's her okay right mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think like, well surely that surely she's going to have something to do right N- no well maybe in this scene she'll no. have something to do no no nope. well maybe no. maybe mr freeze no. will kidnap her no all right no no, <laughs> no. Poison, why does a poison <laughs> ivy kidnap her um, right. Which, speaking of, so she comes in yes. and she gives Bruce her her little like thingamajig, and my favorite part is that he's like, "Oh, well, you should come to this gala we're having tonight." And he just pulls out this enormous black envelope that I guess he was holding the entire time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about this gala because we sort of introduce Poison Ivy to popular society via a gorilla costume striptease that is a homage. To Marlena Dietrich's Blonde Venus, which is a choice. Well, and it's so funny because I didn't know that whenever I first saw this movie, but I had to watch Blonde Venus in college. (laughs) And so when Mm -hmm. I saw this, I was like, where have I seen this monkey thing before? Oh, Batman and Robin. So that's how you know a gay man directed this movie. (laughs) It's just super weird because in that movie, there's like some very significant like racial issues going on, like in Blonde Venus. Mm -hmm. So here I was like, are we making more racial commentary because like this is very much like a afrikan kind of gala where we're auctioning off women who are looking like they're pageant contestants but then we've got tribal dancing it's very jungle motif and then yeah we've got these gorilla costumes and i was like there's barely a black person in this movie <laughs> actually what we, are we doing we had one vivica a fox but she's not yes, here exactly. that's the one <laughs> she came over for lunch and a credit yeah. <laughs> i mean whatever gets vivica like her her sag card or keeps her yeah. employed then we're happy for it but speaking of money spent uh does anybody have any thoughts on the fact that batman has a credit card that never expires um good through forever <laughs> <laughs> Like camp, camp, pure camp. I think that's fun. I mean, honestly, we have that. Freeze bus in. He uses a chill pun twice mm-hmm. in a row. But I do love his uh, plants lady, 
Vine Girl. <laughs> clever Clover. Yeah, oh, yeah, Clever Clover Handle. is one. It's like, well, you really reach for that one. Hand over the diamonds, girl, or I'll turn you into mulch. All the while, a soul-to-soul version of Poison Ivy is playing in the background. Indeed, indeed, yes. <laughs> I, I love all This is all really fun to me. <laughs> it's the best part of the movie. It's all downhill from here. I mean, just Poison Ivy's, like, floor show, where she's basically like, hey, I'm making this big debut, but also I've got backup dancers, and I'm gonna, like, be carried and walk over men like it's a fucking Vegas sideshow. It's hilarious. Uh, more greasy men in in leather diapers like that's what this movie needs in droves and it sadly deprives us of that for the rest of the film my god now i'm thinking of a batman movie directed by paul verhoven it'd be interesting may not be oh, good man. but it'd be interesting <laughs> oh it'd be, yeah right um so this ends with like a terrible stupid chase sequence but batman manages to get freeze so he ends up in arkham he tries to escape by knocking out who i think is guard jesse ventura that is jesse ventura she's like oh okay so we're just casting all of california's future politicians in this one batman movie well he's a minnesota politician God we'll damn give it. him that <laughs> You know what? This is why Canadians should talk about dead. American politics. <laughs> now, okay, so th- th- they drop Freeze off in his cell, which apparently has just a single, like, little silo area of completely freezing temperatures. Now, it's a transponder beam of cold air. Sure. Um, he tries to run away. Now, I get that he is you know, in this area where he's cold, but he is not in his suit. So wouldn't you think a genius scientist would not try to run away outside of where... I mean, it's just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, try to replicate that so that you don't have to wear the bulky suit all the time and or power it with diamonds. I mean, I will say this, like, we're covering this movie. We're a horror podcast. You folks are horror podcasters. This is not a horror film. This is a children's <laughs> action movie. But the scene where Freeze needs to claw his way back into this cold beam and his eyes have gone completely bloodshot and it looks like he's maybe bleeding from the mouth. Mm -hmm. I find it genuinely effective as like a bit of a horror moment. Um, I would argue that Bane's deflation is also really terrifying. (laughs) Well, when it's not undercut by the sound of a deflating balloon. (laughs) Yes. That, that, that somewhat takes the heat off the moment. Oh my god. We, we do get some Looney Tunes like boing sound effects too uh-huh. when people jump. Oh my god. The sound effects in this movie are over the top. Uh, speaking also of over the top, Poison Ivy decides to take up residence in the Turkish baths. So she kicks out some neon skull gentlemen and then she and Bane literally redecorate i love the the set design for one thing i think about this movie is genuinely good is the production design the art direction i think Mm -hmm. all that's fantastic i just i love this entire layer and i wish we had more time in it hard agree i'll also give a shout out to costume designer jose fernandez because i don't i don't like freeze's suit but i think all of poison ivy's outfits are really good yeah and that's uh, that's all we have to say about them. <laughs> I've always hankered for something on the water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she picked a third accent. I really think so. Yeah, that one's some cat on a hot tin roof kind of. 
I like how this gang looks that they kick out. They've got this like day glow makeup, you know, like a, they, you seem like, let's see, like once again, it seems like they might have something to do. No, they just leave. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, like, you know, the one guy gets, the one guy gets up, he says something vaguely threatening and then that's the last we see of them. So <laughs> I just, I just, I actually, the, the one thing that's missing from Poison Ivy in this movie, because again, yes, Poison Ivy can control plants and we get this really bad CGI when she, you know, tries to make paradise and, you know, the plants are all growing. But I think it looks cool outside of the fact that it is really bad CGI. But she never really uses plants to kill anyone. And that's a mm-hmm. big issue for me in this movie. And maybe it's because they don't have the budget for it. Like, we get the, my vines have a crush on you at the end. Mm-hmm. But again, why aren't we just having her kill people with plants? Why are we having Bane kill people for her? I think they run out of budget because they every time Freeze uses that ray, that's just money coming out of your checking mm-hmm. account. Yeah. And so there, if someone goes, wait a second, I'm paying for Freeze rays and vines fuck that you got choose one so more misogyny because they couldn't a give alicia silverstone another fitted costume and they couldn't give poison ivy fucking plants to kill people with (laughs) also i i i feel like poison ivy and mr freeze's goals also are are conflicting with each other Uh uh-huh like like how are you how are you how are you restoring plant life in a world that is covered in ice. Okay, so I, I it doesn't make any sense. I, I only assume that it is that he is going to basically make the world a blank slate. And then once the ice melts, she will regrow the earth. That is the only explanation I can give. And it is a very slim reasoning <laughs> at that. <laughs> You're being very generous. Yes. yes. <laughs> because, because it means he would have to kill all the plants to begin with, which she would right. be immediately against. Yeah. Like, this is where the two villains don't work together. Like, their, their alignment doesn't make any sense. If anything, they should be in opposition to one another. Exactly. Again, that's an issue with Poison Ivy in this movie. Like, we just... She's outside of her feminine wiles, which, again, it's really fun when she gets to use them. She is just completely reliant on men, and also seemingly stupid. <laughs> to me, it feels like the movie thinks that Arnold, because he's the more famous actor makes freeze the more interesting character so freeze's plot makes sense and that's the movie's dominant action and then we also decided we wanted to have another female in here and poison ivy was a logical choice but also she's less interesting she's not as big a star we don't really know what to do with her hey but we get your line delivery of reinforced steel not good Could have used the second take, probably. No, <laughs> no, no absolutely not. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's not amazing for the the right reasons, but it is amazing. I will give it give you that. Oh my god, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. So Poison Ivy does break Freeze out using Bane, and then we hold up in her lair. But we get this moment, yeah, where they check out the airfield photo, which is very funny. For some reason, Batman has to toss Robin into you can't say that on television goo to prevent him from dying because he's going to kiss Poison Ivy. God, this fight they get into before. Mm-hmm. And more than once, again, I Chris O'Donnell, nice to look at. Not a good actor. I don't buy him for a second being this sort of like, you know, you angry young man who, you know, he, he just sounds really whiny 
where where he's like he's like oh well she likes me instead of you and you can't stand it and it's just like man ain't no lady out there gonna choose chris o'donnell over george clooney now come on now yeah <laughs> <laughs> also joe i'll tell you like a comedy because i agree ivy's costumes are really good but she has one set i think it's actually this prison breakout set where she's wearing green gloves where the fingertips are painted yes. that orange but mm. they're not painted well. They're like faded. <laughs> I think they're going for an ombre and failing. I all they had to do was get a bucket of paint and have her dip her fingertips in them. <laughs> oh my god. As every costume designer is like, bitch, you do not more complicated than that. No, no. You get this actress who pay millions of dollars, and you have her put on the gloves mm-hmm. and dip just her dip. fingertips into paint. You know, when I dip, you dip, we dip. It's oh just gosh. that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there's so much to rag on within this film, but yeah, like you get dumb little moments like that line reading from Uma Thurman. You get the fact that yeah, she wants to repopulate the Earth with what appears to be. Audrey twos and little yes. glass cases, but it's a uh, see. Th- we needed more of this snake plant thing. That thing, I mean, it looks fake, but it looks so cool. <laughs> I do love the one snake who's hooked up to the venom pump, mm-hmm. with, and he's just frozen in time. <laughs> There's no movement whatsoever. He's not even a puppet. He's overwhelmed. It's been a hard day for that it's, one. It's a lot. I'm sorry. I know we aren't talking about Alfred, but I do love that the, the way they, they, they diagnose the McGregor syndrome is that the doc- they have a house call from a doctor who just looks at him and goes, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's McGregor syndrome. <laughs> yeah, that super common rare disease that is only showing up in this movie. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't tell them what it is, doesn't tell them how long he has, nothing. It's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's only one thing that can take this 80-year-old man off his feet. It has to be McGregor syndrome. There's Obviously. no other source for yeah. his illness. But, like, d- did he do a blood test at the mansion? Like, he didn't seem to have a kit of doctor stuff. Like, I don't... <laughs> oh, no, Trace, you don't understand. With McGregor syndrome, you just take a look and you know. Oh, <laughs> got it. You can tell across the room. They diagnosed it with smell. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's that? Mm. Oh, it's a whiff of McGregor syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, um, take a break really quick, everyone. Sorry, we actually have to bid goodbye to one of our guests who has a very important meeting to go to. Uh, Patrick, I'm sorry you have to miss the end of Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry I have to go. My apologies. I very much wanted to uh, save the world from a, a diamond-powered ice gun that freezes the entire world and is only melted by redirecting the sun from Africa, which is another resource we're stealing from that continent. Uh, not much to unpack there, but thank you. I, 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 my apologies. Once again, commerce uh, makes me move away, but uh, uh, I, I love being on horror queers and uh, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Okay, now that he's gone. I was going to say, now that he's gone, we can talk shit about him and <laughs> continue on. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we, we do a bunch of this like, she loves me, no, she loves me, and it's super boring. And also, Alfred is sick with a whiff of McGregor syndrome. But let's get on to this unveiling of the telescope, because that's kind of where we're going to spend the rest of this movie. So Freeze takes control of the satellite. He's going to turn it into a giant freezing gun. And meanwhile, Bane is going around like a diligent little child going, bomb. I I love that. (laughs) I'm just like, bomb, bomb. 
bomb. It's like, Bane, Bane, can you help me clean the house? Can you help me to do these little daily chores? Can you plant the bombs? Oh, okay. Bomb. Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> no, earlier, like, Ivy says something. She's like, let's put these monkeys to work. And he goes, monkey. Monkey. Work. <laughs> it's like Frankenstein. <laughs> Like, do you think that's what he's meant to be? Because even his creation scene does kind of look like a Dr. Frankenstein lab experiment gone wrong, right? Maybe. I mean, maybe we should give this film more credit. (laughs) I I give it a good amount of credit. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Okay, so this is when we get Barbara having her Max Headroom interaction with uh, the projected consciousness of Alfred. His brain algorithm. Look, because you know she's not talking to anybody when they're filming this, so she's just talking to nothing, and it's just like... So, yeah, she gets all suited up, and that's great. And then we have the big set piece at Poison Ivy's lair in the Turkish baths. And I think, Trace, like, when you were talking about the production design, people either think of the, yes, the giant kind of Prometheus men that encapsulates Gotham. Yeah. Or this set piece, right? Where we've got what has happened with the redecorating of the Turkish baths, and we've got curtains of flowers that reveal themselves and this pool that's got like dangerous vines and uma has a giant venus fly trap that she sits on but then later gets eaten by okay but gina gina i need you to tell me because wikipedia just says they dispatch poison ivy um <laughs> okay wikipedia well done how how Is she beaten in this scene? I just assumed that she was stuck in the, in the, the the Venus flytrap and then they just dragged her because yeah, because you're right that when we see her next, she looks like she's gone insane where she's just like, like her hair is all messed up. She's got these like dark circles under her eyes. She's talking to herself, but it's like, it's like, okay, so, so. You know, and, and when she sees Mr. Freeze, she's like, oh my god, it's you! Like, but, like, okay, like, hmm. but l- l- literally what happens is Batgirl kicks her into this plant. It, it's not even a Venus flytrap, it's just like, it looks like a flower that's unbudding a little bit. Because it, it yeah. seems to be her throne. Mm-hmm. And so, the woman whose power is literally to control plants is eaten by the, the plant that she made a throne for herself on. <laughs> And, yeah. and she just goes curses no it just comes down on her like a clamshell and and i guess like yeah yeah I, I guess she's just stuck there and you know, loses her mind in the process and then they they drag her off to arkham sure. but she can't control the plant and tell it to open up right it this is what i'm saying it feels like they didn't know what they were doing with this character like they spent all of their time and energy making freeze's plot make sense and then they were like uh i guess plant lady will get dispatched by a plants no one will think twice about that right well when you said that uh that they you know that normally there was three years between the batman movies and this one there was two i didn't know that mm-hmm. that that makes a lot of sense because this definitely feels like they were kind of writing this oh, as, as as they went along like every decision was a snap decision like well we have to add a, a female villain to this well who should we add well i don't know who are the female batman villains uh how about mm-hmm. poison ivy yeah how about how about poison ivy all right well what should we do with her and then like they're still actively making the movie while this happens like none of this is done with any sort of thought or foresight 
it really does also feel like what they did is they looked back at Batman Returns and just cherry-picked Catwoman moments and then said, this will work again for Poison Ivy. Like, yeah. her death, her transformation, and then, like, even, as you said, Gina, you know, when we see her in Arkham, she looks disheveled, like she's gone through hell, and it just looks like what Selina Kyle looks like before she kills Max Shrek in the end of Batman Returns. <laughs> right, exactly. There's also some weird because I right, so there's uh whenever Robin is being drowned in the water, there's a <laughs> shot where he like comes up and he gasps for air. And the plants drag him back down, except mm-hmm. the thing is, the shot is literally just the exact same shot of him coming up for air, rewound. <laughs> no time for coverage. Just uh, roll it in reverse. It is. I mean, and that's, yeah. You're, and you were right with what you said earlier, Joe, right? Like, they spend so much time trying to, like, science out Freeze's plan and figure out how to combat his plan when they are never concerned about any kind of science involving poison ivy. And mm-hmm. that would have made sense in this scene, right? Like, come with some bat in a uh, 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 pesticide or something that kills all these plants boom there you go yeah i mean one of the recurring jokes that i like about these batman movies is that they're kind of like bond where they just always have the right tools for whatever villain they're gonna face mm-hmm. and they've got all of these things to heat people and like laser things for freeze and then when they come to poison ivies they've got rubber fucking lips and then batman has a kind of retractable uh kind of like buzzsaw thing that he uses to get out of the vines and it's like that's what you came up with for a biologist villain um okay why don't they use their laser lamps to start a fire i mean i guess they don't want to destroy the property really look all this to say this is not a very good end for this character quote-unquote she's not killed or anything but uh we have to recognize the most campy vampy moment in this entire movie is when in the middle of her fight with batgirl (laughs) poison ivy pulls out this little like pen dagger and then checks herself out in the reflection on the blade (laughs) (laughs) you you know what i i do actually like that a little (laughs) i gotta say i think it's a i think it's a it's a, it's a silly it's a very silly moment and i actually enjoy it i Mm. I, you know i mean it's it's not the worst movie i've ever seen it's really really bad though it's really bad (laughs) (laughs) gina's like i will find the bright lights but overall i am not willing to admit that this film is good (laughs) so while she's fighting batgirl a character who has never interacted with mr freeze in this movie Mm-hmm. She feels compelled to say, as I told Lady Freeze when I pulled her plug, this mm-hmm. is a Wonder Woman show. Which, by the way, Batman seems to film while he's being dangled by these vines and mm-hmm. captures it at an angle exactly like how the movie we are watching captured it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's too funny. I was listening to an episode of the Podmortem recently, and they were talking about how annoying it is when you get things like flashbacks or visions from characters, and it's exactly the way that they film it in the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I will see it the way the camera (laughs) sees it in the past or future. (laughs) And that's very much this, right? Like, we just took the shot, and then we just put it onto Batman's little bat phone later on. But he's also being crushed by vines at this moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't it have made more sense for him? I mean, I guess you're not going to waste precious screen time of this two hour and five minute movie to be like, hey, Batgirl, can you send me that file of her confession? (laughs) (laughs) 
attached like an e-transfer to me over, okay? <laughs> Put it in the Dropbox. Well, also, because we're led to believe this whole time that Nora Freeze has been murdered by Uma Thurman, which actually is a pretty mm-hmm. dick move on her part. But then it's like, oh, wait, she's actually alive at the end, so it's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's like we plugged her back in, she's fine. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> She got a little warm for 2.5 minutes, but, you know, it was within the 11 minutes, so she's totally fine. Everybody lives for 11 minutes in this movie. But then, do we really need to have Poison Ivy, like, kill it, quote-unquote, I guess I guess just so that her final scene makes sense as to why Freeze wants mm-hmm. to, like, be her cellmate. But also, they wouldn't put them in the same cell together. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense because she wouldn't even know that he had seen her confession, so why is she so scared of him at the end? Yeah! Like it, it, it's bad screenwriting. It's bad editing, maybe too. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> it's bad direction, bad acting. <laughs> it's, it's camp. It's just camp. It it's is camp. camp. <laughs> okay, so let's head over to what's happening up here at the observatory. Freeze has taken possession of this telescope, and he is using it to freeze the entire city. So we've got a. I don't know, some kind of driving sequence where they're trying to like storm down the city in their various skating vehicles. And <laughs> it's meant to be exciting, but this is where I really start to feel that runtime. I'm like, or you could just have them arrive at the observatory and we could get on with it. Yeah, yeah, th- th- this movie is way too long. So we've got all this junk with these stupid observatory technicians getting caught on it as Batman and mr freezer fighting and then we manage to punch freeze out at a certain point and then batman begins thawing the city but this is when the bombs go off so barbara the real computer genius bickers and fights with dick to reprogram it and it's like oh it's gonna it's gonna take perfection to do this and she just like flips the screen and repositions all the satellites also lazy screenwriting so you know whenever like they fall and robin's like i've got you she's like no i've got you and then Mm -hmm. literally when they're about to do the computers again he's like i've got it and she's like no i've got it and i was like we just heard this same gag two minutes ago (laughs) Mm mm-hmm Gina, I'm curious to know if you would agree with me, but this feels like the early days of like kind of riot girl feminism or like maybe it's the later days of riot girl feminism, but it's very like, let's crack a couple of PC jokes about, you know, like, oh, using your femininity to get what you want. You're bad. You're a bad feminist. And I'm Batgirl and I'm a good feminist. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, basically, yeah, it's that's what it's it's trying to be. And then you've got the scene where where uh, uh, Robin's like, sort of like, oh, this is pretty tough for a little girl. And Batgirl's like, well, oh. let me show you, little boy. And I guess that's supposed to be flirting. I, I, I don't know. And it's just like they're both, they're both nineteen. Jesus God, just, just stop it. You know, I mean, was it established earlier before this scene that she was really good at computers? Yeah. So that's what she was studying before she dropped out. Oh, okay, so it's literally a, one, a throwaway line. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but she dropped out. Hmm. She got one semester, and now she can reprogram satellites and save an entire <laughs> oh my city. God, oh. that's what you learn in the first semester. My God. Wait until you hear what you do in the second one. Also, love that Freeze just happens to have the cure for stage one McGregor syndrome. Um, in his wrist that he just keeps around on him all the time. Hmm. Like, why? I <laughs> in case he needs it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ugh, and then we get that terrible line, take two of these and call me in the morning. Oh and then my literally God. the next morning we see that Alfred's better. It's it's this really serious moment too, where where Batman's like, oh, you know, I'll give you, you know, you, you'll go to Arkham, but you'll get everything you need to to cure your wife, mm-hmm. and and you know this this will be your chance to use your gills and intelligence for good again, and you know this really powerful moment, and then he's got to take two of these and call me in the morning, and it's like fuck you movie just like why can't you just play this moment seriously it doesn't have to be cracking dad groaner one-liners every other line oh my god i'm sorry Uh, i'm thinking about this prison again i'm sorry Sorry. um way back way in when when poison ivy's breaking out freeze i guess it's arkham asylum It's, it's arkham yes um he has a visitor from his sister poison ivy um are they just letting siblings in to visit the criminally insane in Arkham Asylum? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, if nothing else, the Batman universe has made it very clear that Arkham is the worst <laughs> penitentiary institution, whatever. Oh, for sure. Because people just fucking break out of there all the time. It's truly impressive. Oh, yeah. God. <sighs> so yeah we basically wrap everything up mr freeze goes to arkham he's roomies with poison ivy sure i guess but uh meanwhile he would continue to work on mcgregor syndrome not like it fucking matters because alfred has been healed and that's really the only reason we care about any of this and the movie ends with uh batgirl saying that she's gonna join the team and alfred's like oh we're gonna need a bigger game <laughs> <laughs> thought that was well, clearly akiva goldsman thought it was a good line um i yeah um and then man uh, off to the sequel that we will never get yeah it feels like that line should have been delivered by porky pig and then we could have done like <laughs> i cannot it's i mean look here's the thing i like this movie in the sense that i do enjoy a lot of parts of it and most of it is actually i mean it's honestly anytime the villains are on screen like anytime ivy and yes even freeze are on screen in this movie i am into it. i am entertained be it because i find it genuinely entertaining or because i find it laughably bad so therefore it's entertaining but it is just <laughs> everything with batman robin batgirl Alfred, Alfred just drags this movie. L McPherson drags oh, this boy. movie down. <laughs> yeah, I um I'm inclined to agree. I don't have the same love and affection for Schwarzenegger's uh, performance in this film. Mm-hmm. I just I find the the jokey one-liners just a little too grating. It kind of starts fun and then it gets old really quickly. I also find that the action in this movie just isn't very good. Like, it's not exciting. It's kind of hard to tell what's going on, mostly because I think it's being edited within an inch of its life. But honestly, everything Uma Thurman, like, absolutely call me the gay man who's worshipping the diva drag icon in this movie. But, like, Uma is fantastic, and everything else I can take or leave. Yeah, I I agree with you there. And, 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 um... She's definitely, I don't want to say she makes the whole thing worth watching because it's a very long two hours and five minutes. 
particularly that last half an hour, you were just you were just hearing the clock ticking in the back of your head, and, <laughs> and just like, holy shit, this has twenty seven minutes. Holy shit, this is twenty four minutes. Holy shit, this is eighteen <laughs> minutes left. But yeah, she she is she's having a lot of fun, which is which is which is important, and, and why I love uh, Jim Carrey so much in Batman Forever. Yeah. Like even even Tommy Lee Jones, as much as he supposedly did not get along with Jim Carrey, he still looks right. like he's having a good time. And to an extent, I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is is, is having some fun. I, I think he's doing the best he can with this absolutely atrocious dialogue he's been given. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's trying, but Clooney's no good. O'Donnell's no good. Silverstone's no good. N- none, n- none of the actors playing the heroes are, are are interesting. The fact that they're all attractive is not enough to make me want to pay attention to what these characters are doing. No. And that's that's a huge mistake. But I, I also think a big issue though is that there is just so much in this movie. I mean like because Oh my god, it's so loaded. It is so loaded. And like we're trying to do so much in in an already long two hour and five minutes, unfortunately to give all of this stuff like its due diligence or whatever the phrase is, mm-hmm. uh, you would have to make this a four-hour movie. Oh, boy. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's definitely I mean, a lot of, of stuff, these... inter- a lot of things introduced, and then the, just they the nothing, nothing is done with any of it. And, and to be clear, like, all Batman movies are long. Like, they're almost always two hours and change. So it's not like this is a new development. It just feels like we've taken a more is more approach here. Whereas other movies at least thought through what is the arc for these characters. They tried to do something interesting with Bruce Wayne, not just have Batman fight these more compelling villains. Because that's the other thing, right? Like, Batman is always the least interesting character or he tends to be he shouldn't be he should be really complex and fascinating and i do think that's where nolan gets it better but typically and especially with these first four films that we're talking about the villains are always way more interesting right as as they should be they're so big and full of life and i just feel like it's really disappointing that this movie a doesn't seem to care about its heroes like you said gina but then b doesn't even seem to care about half of its villains like why is poison ivy completely cut out of the climax of this film it doesn't make any sense except that they clearly thought that freeze was the primary antagonist and he's more interesting and that's the mistake and the shitty thing is i mean as i said at the top of this episode like freeze and poison ivy like are my favorite batman villains and not because of this movie because I, i've read the comics and I, I, i've watched the cartoon right. show like I, I just always loved them and it's a it's like a glenn glinda in child's play situation where it's like because of the reception of this movie and how this was i don't feel like we're ever going to get live action versions of these characters again well i'm sorry Batwoman actually did do a a Poison Ivy for season three, and I actually thought she was really good. But (sighs) we'll never get it live action again outside in a movie, at least. But I will I will say, though, I mean, like, it is worth checking out the Harley Quinn show, if only for that, because Blake Bell is a fantastic Poison Ivy. And they even get Mr. Freeze voiced by Alfred Molina. So um, worth it. That's good voice casting. Well, um, I mean, spoiler alert, but they actually, um, so <laughs> they have Harley Quinn thaw his wife because they think she thinks that he's a perv who gets his rocks off freezing women. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, she almost dies, but he basically does a blood transfusion to where he takes her disease and he dies. And Nora Freeze becomes a, main, uh, a side character in the show, voiced by Rachel Dratch. Oh. 
interesting. Yeah, it's fun. But nevertheless, I love this incarnation of Poison Ivy. I just, you know, hate that it kind of tainted these characters for so long. Yeah. I mean, we we haven't really talked about it, but this really just tainted everybody because <laughs> it took how long to get another live action Batman after this? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I think that's Batman and Robin. <laughs> um, before we announce we're covering next week, Gina, thank you for showing up. Extend our thanks to Patrick as well, but sorry for subjecting you to this again. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I, at least I watched it all the way to the end this time. That's true. There you go. Um, but let everyone know, where, where can they find you on social media? Okay, well, Patrick and I host the Kill by Kill podcast, uh, in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters and the weird little background details. Uh, Joe and Trace have both guested a number of times. We're always excited to have them. Uh, mm -hmm. As for myself... Um, assuming although i don't know it doesn't look like twitter's going to be around by the time this by the time this uh this goes to uh th <laughs> this goes say? live if it is uh, i am on there under gina does things um and uh i also write for the spool uh, about movies and television uh, I, in fact i wrote a glowing piece a couple of years ago on batman forever <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. cer cer certain aspects of these movies i do actually really enjoy um and i also have a Substack which i also write about movies that's gina watches things all right well if you want to get in touch with us you can reach us on twitter and instagram well everywhere at horror queers uh shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com find us on letterbox keep track of all the films we've covered go to our youtube channel horror queers to watch us interview uh different horror filmmakers and talk to other journalists uh, about hot button horror issues if you want to chat with other listeners please join our facebook horror queers group and if you were very polite and nice leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify <laughs> yes those conditions only only <laughs> and if you want even more content please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horror queers uh we are now in december the final month of 2022 so this Ooh. month we've got episodes on terrifier 2 bones and all christmas bloody christmas Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, and an audio commentary on, drumroll please, Scream 2, in honor Yay! of its 25th anniversary. <laughs> yes, we've covered again, and yes, we'll do it again. And you can watch it with us this time, which is even better. There we go, yeah. J oh, God. Jo <laughs> Joe, <laughs> what are we covering next week? Um, I guess we're keeping it ice snow themed. Yes, that's what I said off the top. <laughs> so for, for week two of our winter seasonal programming, we are going to stay with fourth entries in franchises. I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say that this one is a better movie. We'll see if Trace agrees with me next week. But um, we're going to dip into the wrong turn well with wrong turn four bloody beginnings um i actually think it's a better movie than this <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing it's actually a very fun enjoyable film with some great gory practical effects yep uh and some really bad cgi effects but everyone if, if you're like "Ooh, i got do i gotta watch wrong turn one three three um as no. the name implies no this is a prequel it is the first in chronological order in the entire wrong turn franchise so you can watch this by itself and stand alone it's true Yes. All right, everyone. But until that next week, uh, we can cross <laughs> out Batman and Robin. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 